Hey everyone, welcome to the last Probably Science with us all together of the year. I'm Matt Kirshen, I'm sat opposite Andy Wood. With us all together, Jesse's still in Nashville. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's sounding bad. Forget. Yeah. <laughs> that's sounding really bad. Well, Jesse's here in spirit, right. whereas after I'm going to London tomorrow, so I will no longer be with you in spirit. No. <laughs> Your spirit can't cross over the ocean? Is no, it can't cross borders. Barrier? Spirits are very specific about that. Is international Dateline, is it spirit proof? Well, I, get, I feel like Jesse's spirit is still in the house because mm-hmm. yeah, I think spirits are house specific. Well, he's got like electronics that are his here that might contain some of his, uh, like his, his iMac is still in that room. Yeah. So maybe that's like, I don't, know, I don't know how, I don't know where spirits live exactly. Can they live in furniture? Oh, we need to get an expert on right. for this thing. We haven't actually had an expert in ghosts yet. We've had all the other kind of science. I know. We've got to get a ghost scientist on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this will this will be the last one of... Um, well, we're going to try and do um, a couple of episodes separately while I'm in London and Andy's still here. Uh, By saying that on the podcast, we now have to do it. Do you we know? do now so have to do it. That's... Um, also... Hey, with the holidays coming up, we did this last year as well. We'll try and add a few things this year. We'll do the holiday gift guide. If you go to probablyscience.com, you're thinking about buying some gifts for your friends, families, loved ones, liked ones. If you go to probablyscience.com and click on the shopping tab, as well as the Amazon link, uh, we will be linking to products uh, relating to guests that have been on the show. Their various books and specials and TV series or whatever that they've been involved in. So, yeah help support us and also support the people that you've enjoyed on the show and get something really cool for your friends and family. Mm-hmm. Hey, who's our guest today, Andy? Our guest is a um, longtime friend of both of ours, first time guest and one of the founders of the greatest comedy festival in the country, SF Sketchfest. It's the one and only Cole Stratton. Hey guys. Hey. Thank you for being with yeah, us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, yeah, we've been wanting to do this for a while and also the host of the Pop My Culture podcast. You bet. Which a nerdist. It's a good old time. It was a good time. I've I've done it. I had a very good time. And uh and uh you you guys put together probably the most impressive lineup for a live podcast at last year's LA Podcast Festival when you got uh the stars of how did you bill it? Um what did we do last year? Was that the uh with Reginald uh Oh yeah, two years yeah, that was TJF. Stars of TJF. Yeah, that was pretty fun. That was Reginald Vell Johnson from Family Matters mm-hmm. and Die Hard. Let's not forget that. Of uh, course, yeah. Uh, Jody Sweeten from Full House, uh, Bryce Beckham from Mr. Belvedere, and uh, Stuart Pankin from uh, Dinosaurs. Well, Dinosaurs, yeah, and not necessarily the news, I believe. Uh-uh. Um, yeah, that was pretty fun. That was amazing. That's yeah. You do that quite a lot with um, Sketchfest. One of the things you do are these themed combinations of people. Yeah, well, like, the thing with Sketchfest is we do, like, 200-plus shows or whatever, so we're always just, like, thinking outside of the box. We do these massive programming sheets. We just write, like, pipe dreams on or just weird ideas. And now, because we're, like, in our 15th year and so many people have done it, like, we kind of feel like we can pull most things off now. So, like, if we just, one of us gets an idea, a weird idea, we're like, I'm just going to see if I can make it happen. And half the time they come together now, which is pretty crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Um. Yeah, I, I was wondering if you guys ever. I'm assuming that you do this as well. Like every every year with Bridgetown, I'm looking up like multiples of five things that happened. So like TV shows that started in 
five or ten year increments. Oh of yeah, the, yeah. Anniversary so, years were big on that. A lot of twenty fifth, twenty. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So then, um, Charlene Conley, who works on Bridgetown with me, she was like, "We should just start doing random numbers. Like, it's the ninth year of Bridgetown. We should just do like ninth anniversaries of things, just because otherwise, every calendar year, Sketchfest is going to beat us to the punch on anything like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, there is that. It's like. I definitely Dave Owen who does the festival along with me and Janet Marnie like he's really big on the anniversary years and sometimes yeah. something else will come up and he's like well it's not an anniversary and I'm like who cares like right. no one really see cares it. it's just an excuse or like let's make a joke out of it or whatever it doesn't matter yeah, like, yeah. like the first we did one of the things we're doing this year is a, 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 a tribute to Bob's Burgers but we actually did it before it premiered the first time so we called it a pre-union oh cool <laughs> it hadn't awesome. existed yet and we did it like at a 200 seat theater and we had everybody at that time I think and like I don't know. It was maybe seventy people or yeah. something, and now like we did it like a four hundred seat venue, and it sold out in like five minutes. So yeah, yeah. Like, how far that show has come? That show is so great. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, I hadn't watched it until recently. Really? Well, relatively recently, it's like about one a of year the best ago. Shows on TV. Yeah, yeah I hadn't. Re- I'd seen little bits, and I hadn't really realized how good the writing was and how well it's done. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's great. I was shocked. I mean, I knew. It, I know it's popular, um, yeah. and people love it. I didn't anticipate it selling out in five ten minutes. Like that was really. That, oh that, I mean, God. I knew it would sell out and probably fairly soon, but that yeah. went quick. And then we have two shows that John Ham's on, and those went like immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess also it's A, the show, and then also the individual cast members and sales people who would sell a load of tickets. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, having like actually H. John Benjamin is not there this year, but they might Skype him in. Yeah. But everybody else, you know, Eugene and Kristen and. Lauren Bouchard and Dan Mintz and like everybody's there so yeah pretty great I think did I already tell the John Benjamin story on this with we had home movies do a cast reunion in the second year of Bridgetown a 10 year anniversary of of that show which is a lot of the same people Lauren Bouchard and uh, John Benjamin um and John couldn't come but we had Brendan Small and everybody else and then like last minute they were like well we're gonna see if we can Skype John in and uh and they, they tried to get him, but he was he was in a movie, and, and I was like, I, well, I get that, yeah, that's that's got to take priority. And then after the show, I was talking to I think Lauren about it, and uh, I was like, well, yeah, no, if, if if someone's shooting a movie, that's obviously going to take precedence over this tenth anniversary thing of this. And he's like, no, 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 he was in a movie theater, he was watching a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> John Benjamin, yeah, that's what he does what he wants to do. But I would recommend fans of Bob's Burgers that haven't seen home movies, check that show out, because that's also one of my favorite shows, animated or otherwise, ever, and it's the same kind of uh, aesthetic as uh, as as Bob's Burgers. It's and great. some of the same... Yeah, yeah, John Benjamin's hilarious, but he like he's one of those guys that like if he commits to a bit, he commits to a bit. It doesn't matter how good it's doing. Yeah, yeah. There was one year we did like a show that like should have been amazing on paper, but for some reason did not click in front of an audience. We called like Fresh Faces a comedy, and it was like hosted by Eugene Merman and John Benjamin, and it had like Verbiglia stopped in and did a surprise set. So did Mulaney, like all these amazing people were on it. Yeah, but for some reason, like it was in this venue where most people were standing, and it just didn't really work. And like John did this bit that was like an erotic like reading about during the Holocaust or something. (laughs) And it went on for like 10 minutes and like the audience was clearly not into it for some reason, but he's just like, I'm, I'm going to double down. I'm going to go longer now. That's the kind of guy he is. It's amazing. I I thought it was hilarious in that sense because he just would not. Right. Right. He's just like, Oh yeah, let me, let me hit harder then. Yeah. I'd respect that. Yeah. If you did the opposite, you'd be like, Oh, he gave up on that. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. So yeah, do check out uh, SF Sketchfest at sfsketchfest.com. And uh, while you're there, you can buy tickets to see our show, which is yeah. happening 
on January 14th. It's part of the California Institute of the Sciences. What's the name of the night? Is? Nightlife. It's a thing they do every month at this... Mu- it's this amazing natural history museum in Golden Gate Park. It's huge and it's awesome. And if you live in San Francisco and you've not been yet, you should go. But once a month they do this thing where the museum closes like 5 o'clock or whatever. And at 6 o'clock they reopen it for four hours and they do like a nightlife thing where it's 21 and up. They have booze and stuff and you can walk around. There's different themes for it. And we do one every year. At least we have for the last four years. So we're doing comedy shows all over the museum, which is awesome so they're like you know in front of dinosaur bones and like whatever it's, it's really cool and uh one of the things we are doing is probably science with you guys it's gonna be a blast we're very excited about it and uh we haven't yet said this on the podcast yet i believe are we? are we able to announce this guy is sure this? yeah yeah it's, it's, let's do it guys do we are having uh adam savage of Mythbusters as our special guest so Head over to sfsketchfest.com and uh, grab tickets for SF Sketchfest Nightlife at the California Academy of Sciences, January 14th from 6 to 10. It's going to be a blast. And it's like 12 or 15 bucks or something. It's really cheap. Yeah, it's only 12 bucks. Yeah. And, and you get access to not just our show for that. Yeah, it's like there's shows all over the museum going on, and then you can just walk around the museum. I mean, there's like they have like 5,000 people in there, and some of the places like seat like four or 500 or something. So, like, if you want to see something, get there early and line up for it in particular. Otherwise, there's stuff you can wander in and out of. But it's it's a lot of bang for your buck. There's amazing things. We're doing some fake TED Talks, competitive erotic fan fiction, some stand-up and things. It's it's going to be really good. Yep. We'll see you there. Hey, Cole, we always ask our guests this before we yep. get started into the actual stories. What, if anything, is your background in science? Um, I got a certificate in fourth grade for an experiment or something. I don't know. That's nice. all I remember. Do you, do you remember anything uh, about what the experiment was? I don't. I just remember the certificate had like a little drawing of like an Einstein looking guy with like a beaker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like one of those things. Also, it's a science certificate. Right. There it is. It's an official science yeah, certificate. It's got a beaker on it. It's science. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, not much, though. I think actually I did get... I in high school, I was on the Academica team, the Academic Decathlon. Okay. Which <laughs> I heard it abbreviated like I that. like... I wasn't like one of my teachers said I had like I know a lot about trivia and stuff like that and he's like you should do this and I was yeah. like okay I'm sure why not and he's like we meet twice a week at lunch and I was like well that's when my improv group meets so I can't go to your meetings but I'll <laughs> compete like that's fine yeah. so and they, it's broken down by like grade point average you know like your, for your team there's like three three parts of it there's like three five to four three to three five and then like barely can read to three or whatever okay. and so i was in the middle one i was in like the three to three five because i was like a three four student pretty much mm-hmm. and so uh <laughs> just went and competed one time and we like killed it for some reason i won like seven medals wow. one of them was i think a silver in science or whatever but like a lot of it's like a standardized test and so you'd just be like uh you know you could just guess you start spelling shit oh it's not know. so it's a decathlon are there really 10 different things? There's or? a bunch of different categories. Some of them are like, most of them are book stuff, but there is like interview or oh. debate. Like those are things too that you can do and stuff like that. Like, and I just so- did that one time and then we moved on to like regionals or whatever, like we're on Glee. Yeah. And like, <laughs> um, but then I was at a play at the time and it was that same weekend. I was like, I can't not do the play. Like I'm in the, sorry guys. So I just did it the one time. Yeah. But- so there's one for you gotta, science. You got to prioritize your dorkdoms there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I have a different, really nerdy thing I have to go do. I, it was weird. It was like one of those things where I was just like, like I kind of just like force gumped my way into this nerd thing. Like I yeah. never made any intention to do it. <laughs> I was just asked to do it, and I was like, oh, okay, it's a thing, I guess. Why not? And then did it, and I was like, oh, the, I, oh medals, neat. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then stopped doing it. That's pretty. So. Yeah, one and done. Yeah. Where, where is there to go from there? You got the medals, right? Like, exactly. why would you keep? Yeah, I got gold. Gold is. Okay. left to go <laughs> that's true it's not just a medal but the best medal and regionals 
I wonder if I get laughed out of a pawn shop if I brought the <laughs> brand. <laughs> you know? It's got sentimental value. <laughs> this is a uh, 1990-something. <laughs> yeah. 1993 medal for uh, silver for interview. Yeah. Um, come Can I on. have a certificate of authenticity in case you have any doubts? <laughs> right. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so did you uh, study, I don't know what your background, did you go to college for performance-related things? I or? went to, sort of, yeah. I went to San Francisco State, and I got a degree in cinema production with an emphasis on direction. Oh, cool. Which I am doing nothing with at all. <laughs> But I think it was like when I got to like I always loved movies growing up. Worked at video stores and stuff like yeah. that. And I have pretty encyclopedic knowledge of movies and stuff. So I knew I wanted to do something with it. But I was also acting a bit, and then I started concentrating more on that because I kind of started being like, well, when you go into film production, you got to intern and roll cable and fetch coffee right, for a right. long time. When you're acting, you audition, you either get it or you don't. If you don't get the part, they they, not, they, they don't send you to craft service to like get people danishes. You yeah. know? like you just you're just not working on it. And so I was kind of like, I kind of like that better. Like I don't want to. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if I want to put the time in rolling cable. I either get treated really well or just not, not at there. all. Right. Yeah. So I kind of transitioned to that, but I still got the degree. It took me like six years, but. <laughs> And you were just, doing improv the whole time? Yeah, I was doing a lot of improv and acting and stuff. So, like, I kind of started concentrating on that. And then I made the mistake, like, it was touchdown registration and you get priority when you're a freshman. Mm-hmm. But I listened, unfortunately, listened to my parents who were like, don't overload your courses. Like, keep it easy. <laughs> so, I only signed up for like 12 units when you have priority. And I, and then I had a hard time getting into classes I needed later on. I was like, I should have used it. The parents told you to slack more. That's... Pretty much. Well, they just didn't want, they were just like, take your time, yeah. you know, like, ease into it or whatever. And, um, which is technically good advice, but I don't think they realize that like this is the time I can get anything I want, and I should probably get the things you can't get into later. Right, right, which right. I did not do. What kind of courses? I don't. Again, I don't know how American universities work, but what kind of courses are hard to sign up for? Well, there's certain things like it's capacity issues or whatever. So yeah. like there's certain small electives or or requirements that they only offer like mm-hmm. one or two classes of that you eventually have to take or whatever and the people that have the priority ahead of you sign up so like when you're doing the touchstone registration you type in the course number and then it would go like, your requested class intro to film is full or whatever and yeah. like ah oh, shit and then you'd have to have like all these things lined up trying to figure out like well if that's full i can do this based on the schedule or whatever yeah and you just gotta hope you walked away with something or you can call later after that and try to add more things in but some yeah. some semesters you'd have like the worst schedule and you just couldn't get anything and it was really frustrating yeah that sucks i think the only time i really wanted to get in something i couldn't get into was uh, there's a wines class at my college that if you were 21 if you're over 21 when you're fall semester starts in your senior year you could take this wines class and it was like so many people i talked to said it was the only class in college they ever used in the rest of their life you actually learn about it's the only thing that's actually come in handy in their career they said but i could yeah of course the wines class fills up like instantly like i had no shot they had one class that was crazy popular at state that was in this giant lecture hall called variations in human sexuality Mm -hmm. and it was basically like it just delved into all sorts of like kink and weird shit nice. and like the bestiality videos were shown oh of course like that too. Of and people course. were like crazy popular and i was like why is this okay all right they just have to like live up to a san francisco college right. stereotype <laughs> san francisco. like shouldn't this be at berkeley right come on yeah. nice. get so over then, the bridge <laughs> so then after college how long you guys must have started Sketchfest when you were all pretty young you and janet and david right yeah we were in a, uh, a sketch group together called totally false people and um 
we all met at state and started okay. that from there. And there was originally like seven people in the group. And then it, when it became what it really was, there's was four of us, the three of us plus Gabe Diani. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> and then when we started the festival up, it was more so out of like, just trying to find a place to perform because there wasn't really theaters for sketch. Like mm-hmm. you could get on a standup show sometimes and people were really confused or you'd have to book a theater for like a run. You couldn't like book one-offs. And there's a couple places like the Mott Cafe and Spanganga, which are these terrible little spaces that you could do these things at. But there wasn't a lot. So we banded together with uh, five other local troops at the time, rented a theater in Union Square called the Shelton for a yeah. month, and called it a festival. That was like just basically what it was. Oh, okay. So we each did like – it was two groups each night doing a 45-minute set with an intermission. And then the last week was like cabaret style where every single group did 15-minute sets with the host. And the Chronicle – for a month? For a month, yeah. Well, basically that's, Thursday through Sunday for four weekends or whatever. Still for the first year of a thing, that's pretty ambitious. Yeah, but that's like basically like you had to get a theater that long. We're like, well, if we band together with enough people and we all put on our money to rent it, maybe it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Tickets were like 12 bucks, and um, the Chronicle ran a front page during the day book, and this is back in 2001, 2002 or whatever when like print meant something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people... It's in the papers. But yeah, people had, you know, they had subscriptions. They saw it, so... Yeah. Hot off the press. Right. Festival happening. Exactly. And it, because it was like a Thursday date book cover story of that, we sold everything out. Like there was one Damn. night, one night, one Thursday night where we, it's a 70 seat theater where we had sold like 60 out of a 70. And the guy that owned the space is kind of like this like hippy dippy dude mm-hmm. who was like, and we say this to each other all the time. He's like, ah, slowing down. It's <laughs> the one show that we didn't sell out. So <laughs> that's a thing that we'll do sometimes just to kind of laugh. And like, <laughs> if a show is like, Ninety nine percent. Yeah, it was like up, slowing <laughs> down. Like we'll do that to ourselves. But because that happened, like the next year, we were like, okay, let's let's go bigger. And we went to the Eureka Theaters, our home base, which is two hundred seats. We still use it all the time. Mm-hmm. And we got Fred Willard and UCB minus Amy to come, um, and then opened it up to other groups and kind of grew it from there. And then learned lots of stuff every year, yeah, adding yeah. venues and stuff, and just kind of blew up and it's still just you know run by three of us we have a wonderful staff that we bring on a couple other people that work more of the year but it's still very grassroots and just Damn. run by three idiots that love comedy so yeah i have complete respect for well i mean obviously when bridgetown started you guys were well underway and uh i you know that was that was like the gold standard to aspire to was what Sketchfest was doing so you guys are thanks and bridgetown's wonderful i really thank you a few times that we've gone (laughs) i can't imagine like when i look at the lineup you have the scope of what you guys put together is just mind-boggling it's It's weird because like we do like 222 shows or something right now i think we have over 18 days and yet like that's a knock on us from industry and sponsors and stuff like too they're like it's too long and we're like but you get your advertising for <laughs> right. 222 shows, 18 days or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but if you were just on three days and did 20 shows, or like, wait, what? Wait, advertisers it's, are saying they yeah, want less it's exposure? So, it's so weird. It's like this weird knock that we're too long and we're there's too much going on. And I'm like, but there's... There's that much more exposure for everybody. Right, like I don't. Right, yeah. It'd be one thing if it was like, yeah, there's a lot going on and like it's crickets everywhere, but like yeah. we draw really well. Like they, there's good crowds pretty much every show, so like yeah. everybody wins. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. Have you thought about scaling it back at all? Or every once in a while we talk about it, but you know, I think it's kind of part of our identity is like we're similar to Just for Laughs in that sense that it's like this big sprawling thing and yeah. I think there's we learn lessons every year like everybody does we'll be like oh I guess we programmed too many 
like you know six podcasts at 4 p.m against each other right, you know, like right maybe right. that was not a good idea or whatever like we'll learn things and sometimes stuff just like ends up happening based on availabilities and you just either either we do this here or we don't do it at all oops it's against four similar things well it is what it is yeah hey andy mm-hmm. the, did you get any information from the wine course from your the friends who did get on it did any of our friends get on it uh yeah a lot of my friends did um well yeah did they part, come out of it of as of wine fun- snobs I think a little bit, and part of it was that also you get to drink in class. Like you bring your own kit with like little sample shot glasses and uh, corkscrew, I guess, like a little briefcase. Right. And you get to get a little bit drunk during class. So uh, I, remember, I was nice. always jealous of people when I was at university because in Brit- firstly in Britain the drinking age is eighteen, so all social life is built around the bar and drinking uh, at universities. Mm-hmm. But I remember. Yeah, people who went to very posh schools who just already knew about wine and could identify grapes, which is something I still can't do 20 years later. Yeah, yeah. But um, I can identify them. Those are grapes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a grape. That's not uh, a grape. I, I know a grape. Yeah, yeah a grape, grape by visual. I don't have to yeah, taste them. Yeah. I can see them. I know they are. Yeah, dark red, green, uh, arms, legs, smiley face, does a dance. Mm. We know what grapes look yeah. like. Yeah. Have you had those cotton candy grapes? You know what I'm talking about? No, are they like engineered to be yeah, weird Yeah, they're tasting? engineered that, well, they're like grown, They're in, I think they're slightly engineered, but they're grown at a certain time, mm-hmm. so you can only get them for like a couple weeks every year. They're crazy expensive, like you go to Gelson's, like you get one bag of grapes, it's like $12, but they taste like cotton candy, they really do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I bought one bag once, and I was like, yep, tastes like cotton candy, don't have to do that again. But <laughs> Is that even good? Yeah, it's pretty sweet and nice, to be honest. Okay. But... It's not something. It's sort of like eggnog. Like, I love eggnog, but if it was year round, I don't know if I would be excited about eggnog. Like, I, yeah, yeah, for it's the a, two month window where you can get it. When you think too hard about eggnog, it's it's fucking foul. Like, if is you eggnog really... alcoholic, or do, or do you have to add alcohol to make it? People add like creme de menthe or sherry or whatever yeah. to it, but it's not. It doesn't have it's to. Not, be. No, it's no. not. Okay, inherently, so it's not. It's not like advoca or something. Which advoca? Yeah, which is a Dutch egg alcoholic drink sounds like a charity uh a d v o c a a t yeah okay yeah i don't no it's advocate not. wait what did you just spell to me <laughs> advocado advocado <laughs> is an, ad- an advocado would be like a lawyer representing a yeah. guacamole cl- yeah it's made from um it, yeah it's made from egg yolks or eggs sugar and brandy it's similar to eggnog and if you have it with lemonade, that's called a snowball. Mm. Mm. Nice. Yeah, it's well, yeah. I just we we. Ha- it's the kind of thing. It's like creme de menthe. It's the kind of thing that your parents have at the back of a cabinet somewhere. Oh, okay. That your because your great aunt used to drink it, but mm. she died twenty years ago. But it's still there, yeah, and it has this crust there. that sort of forms around the bottle, right, around the top of the lid. There, yeah. Well, speaking of drinks that have gone bad. Uh, Justin Broad sent us in a great story about a trick you can use involving a penny to bring back a spoiled bottle of wine. Um, there's a new video that from the American Chemical Society explaining how to do this super cheap wine-saving life hack at home. Simply pour a glass of spoiled wine. You'll know if it's spoiled if it has a funky sulfuric smell akin to burnt rubber or rotten egg. Does spoiled in this case mean corked That's or what not? I, I don't think corked really ends up with a rotten egg smell, so I don't know what the difference between corked and spoiled is. Do you, are, you, are you a big wine guy? Uh no, I mean we definitely drink wine, but I'm like I'm more of the like hmm, red, right? Why? Yeah. Like I'm that's, not. That's all I. I'm not <laughs> like oh look at the bouquet and the legs. I'm gonna screw that. Like, that's what I was gonna say. So in my first year, I went into my friend Tom's room and he had some wine and he went, hey, hey, what do you think of this wine? Taste it or taste it or 
And I sort of smelt it and tasted it. And I went, ah, it's okay, I guess. And he went, it's corked. This is what corked wine tastes like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's, it's still I didn't fine. know I was meant to look for bad. Right, I right, didn't know right. what kind of thing I was meant to be pretending give, to give, look for. Give me a facial expression to indicate what this is supposed to be before I try it. I don't know which direction to fake this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I've, I think I saw that Adam Ruins Everything video where they talked about, uh, I, sh- I shouldn't cite the thing he's citing, I should find the actual story, but um, they gave wine experts, like they had them sample a white wine and then and then sample a red and give their analysis of both. And of course the red was just that same white with food coloring and they gave completely different descriptions. So like, you know, maybe all wine snobbery is bullshit. Uh, um, but anyway, so if you have a glass of wine that is funky and sulfuric, you just add a clean copper penny to it um, be sure to give it a good scrub before you toss it in to clean off any grime and stir it around and remove it. Take a sip. If all goes as it should, your penny-infused wine will have lost its rotten egg tinge. And there's a simple scientific explanation for how that works. The penny interacts with thiols or stinky sulfur compounds in your glass of wine. And um, the wine has thiols as a result of a common part of the grape fermentation process known as reduction, in which fermenting grape juice sugars are kept from interacting with oxygen, the ACS said. And reduction is a complementary process to oxidation, which involves exposing the same fermenting sugars to oxygen. So sometimes the reduction process can go into overdrive, and that's when stinky thiols are produced. And uh, again, if you're not sure what they smell like, um, ethyl mercaptan is one thiol that might be present in your wine bottle. It smells like burnt rubber. And the thiol hydrogen sulfide smells like rotten eggs. Another one, methyl mercaptan, smells a lot like a burnt match. Um, but again, when those compounds interact with copper, the reaction produces an odorless compound known as copper sulfide, and the same copper sulfide crystals will be produced if you dip a silver spoon in your glass of wine. So you can either put a sil- stir it with a silver spoon or drop a shitty coin. Right. <laughs> You're supposed to clean Maybe. off the coin a little bit. A lot but of yeah. people don't know this. If you've got spoiled wine, you drop in a Kennedy half dollar, it turns into high C ecto cooler. Oh, okay. interesting. Great. I mean, give it a shot, guys. It's hard to find ecto cooler these days. Right, so exactly. Like you can't find that. It's hard to find a Kennedy half like... dollar. There's a lot you got to do. <laughs> Um, Very specific. Yeah, so uh, anyway, so it replaces those <laughs> smelly thiols with copper sulfides, and uh, you can watch the video over on uh, probablyscience.com. We'll link to it. I still don't know what's spoiled. I, I don't, have you ever opened wine and had it go, oh, this is spoiled? I don't know what I, spoiled I, wine Have you is. definitely opened up wine that's like, oh, it's really old, which yeah. is either good or bad, and um, you'll open it and you'll be like, oh, this tastes kind of funky or it smells kind of weird, and like... Sometimes it's just bad wine to right, begin right. with. If you'd gotten it, you know, right away-ish, it might have been the same thing. But and it's something you can tell, but, like, it's not something that I really look for that often. But yeah. I'm also one of those guys, like, I'm allergic to sulfa, like, sulfa drugs and stuff. So sulfates kind of make me sneezy. Oh. So with red, and I don't like white wine, so I'll just drink red. But if I drink it, it's like I will tend to, it kind of knocks me out, makes me tired. Wait, sulfates are always in wines? or Not always. Some are sulfate-free, but... I don't really know the deal. All I yeah. know is that like red wine tends to make me sleepy and sneezy, so like I have to really be craving it, and I prefer like harder booze, anyways. So yeah. does it ever make you any of the other dwarfs? Makes me dopey. Not Doc, though. I really wish it did. <laughs> he makes me. I really, I really wish it did. Get a doctorate right after <laughs> doctorate in red wine. <laughs> That's what you would get. Yeah, if I if I don't maybe I would have been the start of a whole different career if I just got into that one class. That would have been the butterfly effect moment when I would have found my niche as a as a wine expert. Ugh, wearing turtlenecks in right? St. Helena Valley. <laughs> <laughs> Try this one. It's okay with hints of quarters. <laughs> yeah, what's what's the best coin to pair with this wine? Right, right. <laughs> 
for a uh, 1925 buckwheat penny. <laughs> I've got a roll of nickels here, and I want to get fucked up. <laughs> you get a nickel. You get a nickel. Just flip it around to your friends. That's well, awesome. You, you'll love Plungerheads and Fendel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, before we get to other stories, I wanted to talk about last week we had a crazy moment of synchronicity with one of our favorite uh, other podcasts, The Dollop, and a bunch of listeners pointed this out. Like Randomly, both of our episodes prominently featured Phineas Gage last week. Do you know the story of Phineas Gage? I don't. Oh. Is, is he from Around the World in 80 Days? <laughs> it's, it's such a great... God, it's a perfect name for that era. Um, he was a mid-19th century railroad worker who survived a an, an injury with a tamping iron that was uh, pretty severe. He was he was packing in explosives, and this, um, I think it's a three-quarter inch tamping iron, uh, was driven all the way through his skull, through his brain, and it didn't kill him. It just made him into an asshole. Okay. Um, and as we were talking about it, I was quickly Googling it, but I didn't realize the story that I'd found was was actually pretty recent. Because uh, I've heard of this guy my whole life. Like I, I It's one of my favorite p- pieces of like weird history. Um, I even started a band in high school when my friends and I didn't play any instruments but we still like would start a band I'm making air quotes yeah, you know just you yeah. just like make up names for a band so like one of our band names was going to be Phineas Gage another one is self storage not as good Phineas Gage pretty good band name um but I didn't realize there was new information on this case because 5 years ago someone actually found a photograph of this guy and he's he's a looker even after the accident like he's got I mean the one eye is closed and that side of his head was badly damaged but um there's an article in smithsonian magazine uh about the process of finding this photo um because Wait, that's he's just james marsden i think that's right yeah headshot and he's holding he's holding the iron that went through his skull <laughs> and that's how they figured out that, that that's what the picture was they could see like a tiny part of the inscription describing that as the actual implement that was driven all the way through his skull um and supposedly when gage went to the first doctor to treat him after this uh, explosion he said here is business enough for you wow. to the doctor <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's an old ass daguerreotype from about um well, he was he was 25 in 1848 and the foreman of a crew that was cutting a railroad bed in cavendish vermont and um this and he's here tonight let's bring it <laughs> hey, out guys hey. <laughs> It was a 1.25 inch wide and 43 inch long um, tamping iron that weighed about 13 pounds that shot skyward, penetrated his left cheek, ripped into his brain, and exited through his skull. Um, so yeah, though blinded in his left eye, he might not have even have lost consciousness, and he remains savvy enough to tell that doctor, here's business enough for you. But I guess listen to the dollop for a more in-depth look at that story. But I just was surprised that that finding of the photograph was new, and that he's so good looking. Uh, we also had another correction from our friend Baz Lovenberg. So last week I was telling people that there was an upside down vision experiment where they put up, put upside down they put glasses on people that inverts the image, and I was like, and after a certain amount of time, people started seeing the right way up, and that's not actually completely true. They don't start seeing the world the right way up, but the brain adjusts so that they can operate correctly within an upside down world. Which is like sort of semantically, I mean... Well, it... No, I think it's still different. I think it's still... Like they're aware that they're still seeing... It's it's whether it's a conscious... Yeah, you're like, it still looks upside down, but I can deal with it. It's weird how like brains adjust to things, because like my vision is getting worse, because that's the thing that happens. Yeah. And um, 
I just had to go back in for like another, like get my prescription looked at or whatever. And I guess my astigmatism has gotten worse. I got a new prescription and, mm-hmm. and the doctor's like, all right, well, when you start getting new glasses with this, you can't go back. It will confuse the shit out of your brain. Like what I mean, it'll make, it takes a while to adjust to the new lenses, I guess, but oh. like it will confuse you or something. Cause like it adjusts. Do you get headaches when you have the new ones? Uh, or I guess old? I haven't gotten them yet because I had to like order them. So like I uh. have to see what happens when that, but that kind of bugs me too. It's like, well, I have like a dozen pairs with this prescription right, that right, I like. Right. And so like now do I have to just toss these in the fire, like a nerd in front of a fire. Tossing On the edge of a cliff. Right. Well, how much would it cost? I mean, I guess getting them all redone is almost the same as getting new glasses. Right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of the frames are not expensive. It's the lenses oh, okay, or whatever. Okay. So, but yeah, I mean, maybe that's not true. Maybe I'm like misheard him when he told me that, but I was kind of yeah. like, oh, you can't a, go back. It's a bummer. Well, but does that also mean that once you've adjusted to those, if you take your glasses off at any point, then you'll also not have that specific correction. So you'll also be very bewildered. But when you have them off anyway, I'm sure you're not seeing very well. Well, my vision's not that bad. It's just kind of yeah. like I have a hard. T- I can't read things when my glasses are off, like yeah. things that are far away or fuzzy. So, but I can see things fine. I'm not like one of those people that has like Coke bottle glasses or like yeah. stumbling around if I don't have them on. So, like if I'm like laying in bed looking at my phone, I don't have my glasses on necessarily. Yeah. But like, but I wear them pretty much all the time otherwise because everything's sharper and better. Right. You know? yeah. yeah. And I realized that when I first moved to LA like ten years ago, this is before I had glasses. I didn't know where things were. And I'd be driving on the freeway and I'd be like, and, oh, that was La Brea. Yeah. <laughs> I needed to get off there because things are fuzzy. So then I went to Lens Crafters and got my eyes looked at and got glasses. And they make them like right there, like you're in and out with them. And I remember putting them on and it was just like, oh, like everything. I was like, oh, my God, I can read that street sign. That's Chris. There's somebody walking his dog. I could tell you the breed and what's on their little eggs. <laughs> Who wants me to read a thing for them? Right, exactly. <laughs> I can identify grapes. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever consider LASIK? No, it's not that bad. Yeah. Mine wasn't that bad either, and I did it, and I kind of regret it a little bit. I've heard horror stories, too, from people. Yeah. Well, you've, have you heard about April Richardson? April, yeah. 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 Oops. Uh, yeah. And she's I calling now to let us know. ladies and gentlemen, I forgot I didn't have this on uh, Do Not Disturb. Phineas Cage? What? Miss <laughs> um, Call. Why do you regret it? Uh, the night vision isn't the best, and when there are bright lights surrounded by darkness, the, that bleeds into the darkness around it. Okay. Um, like I, I don't, I don't think that I get like uh, I, I think my contrast ratio is worse. Like when you're seeing a shitty TV that doesn't have a great like the blacks aren't as black as they could be, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I don't have contacts because that the idea of that stresses me out. Oh really? <laughs> Having them in my eyes, so I just have glasses. Yeah. But I like I like how glasses look. I think it gets some character. <laughs> like I don't dislike it. And I have a beard, but like the only thing that's weird is like if I have glasses, beard, and I put a hat on, that just feels like one, one too many steps, right? <laughs> it's like a double mumbo jumbo. You ever read Save the Cat, that screenwriting book? Yeah. You can't have more than one superpower. You got to have like one crazy thing and then everything else has to be. Right. Um, but I, uh, I actually would have kept, honestly, the only thing, the reason I didn't just stick with glasses for life is just like I can't find glasses for my giant head. If I had a bunch of glasses I loved, I wouldn't have gotten LASIK. I mean, I have a tiny head, so most of the glasses show up and they look like huge Yeah, me. yeah. So I tried to go for the ones that are medium or small and hope that they look good. Yeah, nobody, anybody who makes glasses big enough for my head, it also has some like insulting brand name that is about the size of your head. <laughs> like fat heads or I don't know what the, yeah, yeah. These are from Cranium. Right. Um, 
yeah, that's... heads, globe face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also, big like... fat fuck heads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, BFFH. They're great. <laughs> you know that brand. Yeah, they're great. But my head is so is really small too, so hats do look weird on me. Mm-hmm. So like, if I'm wearing a hat, it's almost like I'm like I could pull off like, yep, yeah, I'm sick. I've got leukemia or something. Like, it looks like that. Like, it's not good. Like, I can wear, like, a little, like, wool cap or something, and it's uh-huh. okay. But real hats just don't Real hats. Don't work. Yeah, I've, I've never had uh, an experience of putting a hat on and have it not look comical. Uh-huh. Uh, not look like a novelty, a fun-sized tiny hat. <laughs> <laughs> like a sombrero. A little just tiny a little. chapeau. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, Matt, do you have another story for us? Oh, actually, we have one more cre- uh, correction. I forgot. Um, we mentioned... Um, a correction, to, a correction to correction about the GPS story, and we uh, said it was Emma Wilton that wrote that in, but that was Caroline Laco, who was oh, a, sorry, Caroline. a GPS expert. Sorry, Caroline Laco. Turn left. <laughs> and fuck you, Emma, for not knowing about GPS. Right? What? Stop slacking. Jesus. Put some work in. Um, oh, since we're inside, I feel like I, I can talk about this today and today only, because if we were outside, the risk of being overheard is too high. Uh, we have new neighbors next door. And there's new developments in the story. I've told Matt all this already. No, you I, haven't. I haven't? No. Oh, okay. So uh, the neighbors next door, I was always convinced, hated us and hated the podcast because we were recording in the backyard and they could hear it. Like eventually they put in double pane windows, which I really thought was just to like get sound protection so their children didn't have to hear our nonsense. Uh, and then they sold the house and some new moved in two or three months ago. They still haven't come over and said, or, it's a weird neighborhood where no one makes eye contact. Um, but I uh, I knew at least they were well-to-do. Like, you can look up the selling price on- online, and it was sold for like almost $3 million. And there was a Rolls-Royce parked out in front when they moved in. But now the new Is it news, Richie Rich? Is Richie, Richie Rich, Rich living next to you? Yes. Oh, it's so great. It's amazing. Uh, but I was talking to one of my roommates. Just, who's your name? It's just one child and a butler. Yeah. <laughs> we had a dog, but dollar's gone now. Is that his name, Dollar, Dollar the Dog? I don't yeah. remember the specifics of Richard Rich. Um, so anyway, so uh, I just heard from Stu that um, he heard from some construction worker who worked in the neighborhood that uh, it wasn't even, the new neighbors aren't even living there. The, the people who bought the house aren't going to live there for a year. And in the interim, they're renting it out for like $10,000 a month to a, quote, big movie star. So there's some big, quote, big movie star so next door. it is door. Richie Rich. It is Richie Rich. <laughs> so now he's Richard Rich. Right. Because right. he's older. Yeah. Yeah. And then I came making a big life credibility. I came home that day and there was a package for me that had been signed for and left next door because they couldn't leave it without an adult signature. So I was like, oh, I got a perfect excuse. And I went over and I met uh, I met the woman of the house who is like, uh, you know, a hot actress looking lady named Amber. I didn't have enough time to get any real. I got the package. Then the conversation was over. I was like, I got to get more details so then i'm googling actress amber and all there is is amber heard and amber tamblin right so you don't think it's david cross living next door i don't think it's david cross living next door um i was telling someone else about it they're like i think it's ben affleck and his and his nanny and then i googled the nanny's name and it's not amber so if you guys have any leads on uh the information we have oh i'm sorry and then yesterday two shetland ponies were dropped off in the front yard uh with a daughter to play with yeah yeah it's it's awesome Okay, so, so there's a child, so it's someone who's reproduced. There's there are children involved. There's a there's an actressy looking lady named Amber who might not be the movie star. Um, and and you know I, I feel like I'm being presumptuous and heteronormative to even assume that, uh, that there's a man of the house who is this mysterious person I haven't seen. Um, I'm putting my money down on it being somebody who used to be a big actor but okay. really isn't now. 
Uh, I'm okay. But still pretty young. I mean, the kids are in the four to eight range, probably, and the woman was probably in her late twenties, early thirties. Right. That doesn't say anything though. Probably okay. be an older guy. That's, okay, you're right. It's Hollywood. Right. So yeah. I'm putting my money on Paul Hogan. Paul Hogan. Interesting. You are living just a few <laughs> feet from Crocodile Dundee, man. Undeniably a big movie star. Yeah. Whether was. or not that was, was the eighties or today, he's right. a big movie star. Right. right. And uh I think did, did he did he have any kind of like second act to his career? Did he have a, a late? He did. There's three Crocodile Dundee movies. There were three. Okay. And there was almost an angel. That's right. Oh yeah. And I think that's it. Looking it up. Uh, born in 1939, New South Wales. Uh, Lightning Jack. You forgot about Lightning, Lightning Jack. Jack oh, in yeah. 1994. Lightning Jack. Can't forget <laughs> oh, wait, that. There's a fourth Crocodile. Oh no! Is this the third one? Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles mm-hmm. from 2001. Thus, he moved to L.A. Okay. Had to find digs. Yep. Now he's living off <laughs> Sherman that sweet, Oaks, sweet Valley Village. Yeah. CD3 money. <laughs> This is this is like straight to video stuff. The crocodile in in L A one. All right, if Paul Hogan, if you're listening and you live next door, come say hi. <laughs> Paul Hogan was, I think, at some point being talked about for playing Jim Jeffries' dad in Legit, and then it didn't work out for whatever reason. Then they ended up with um. That sounds familiar. Uh, what's his name? James Bo- the Australian James Bond. Oh, uh, Lazenby. Yep. There we go. Nice. Lightning Jack, Flipper, Floating Away, Strange Bedfellows, Charlie and Boots. Oh, yeah, Strange Bedfellows. What's that? That is, that got remade in America as, uh, oh, God. Again, you'll know this as, as, a, as a film, because this is a classic, classic film, mm-hmm. as is the original, one of the finest comedies ever committed to celluloid. But this is um, two straight middle-aged men realizing that there is a loophole <laughs> okay. in the law okay. if they were to pretend to be gay and marry for some kind of financial reason. I, right. like, I now pronounce uh, you Chuck you. and Larry. That's exactly what it was. Chuck and Larry was the remake of Strange Bedfellows. There you go. So then Strange Bedfellows was the trying to like go back to its roots remake post Chuck and... This was 2004, so I think this is after I pronounce you. No. No? I think so. No, no, I'm pretty sure Chuck and Larry was later oh i thought you were saying that this is also re oh okay this is the original no, strange bedfellows was the original even though it's 2004 yeah, I think chuck okay and i thought you were saying probably this like is... 2009 or something that's oh, I, okay. I mean we all know okay. where we were when chuck right, and larry right, right. came out i mean yeah it's one of those things that <laughs> you tell your itself. children yeah. when yeah when right. a bomber announced that such a thing were possible yeah mm-hmm. right and the supreme court ruled <laughs> <laughs> excellent all right well paul uh i hope to see you soon <laughs> and by the way guys this delightful. is the most paul hogan discussion on a podcast this year so oh, congratulations. I think we've had... Oh, no, I'm thinking of Yahoo Serious. We've had a few... Uh, like, I way, almost way suggested Yahoo Serious was living next to and I went, you know, Paul Hogan's a little more probable. A little more probable, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we love uh, whenever we have Australians on, um, telling them how huge Yahoo Serious was for a moment. Yeah, yeah, over here. Yeah. Huge. And, uh, and uh, um, he had one other pretty big thing, post-Young Einstein, that I can't pull now, and i got to look it up again. God damn it. I do remember on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, what, they did a Yahoo Serious joke, which was when he was doing his Kreskin character, whatever that was, or Great Carmack. Yeah, yeah. It was, describe the two stages of sex. Yahoo <laughs> Serious. Um, oh, the Reckless Kelly is what we talked about. Oh, Reckless about Kelly. Kelly. Yeah, yeah. You guys. Yes, uh, yes. I'm glad I looked this up, because otherwise we would have had to have had a correction after New Year's, or mm-hmm. whichever episode, one of, I don't know, right. I, would, I would have taken the hit on this one, so okay. I would have done it in my episode, okay. that I'm hopefully doing in London with some of my London friends. Mm. Uh, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, while 
coming despite coming after Strange Bed Follows and having an almost identical plot, uh, was not a remake. And the producers of Strange Bedfellows initiated legal action against Universal Pictures for copyright violation. The suit was withdrawn in April 2008 after the producers of Strange Bedfellows received an early draft of Chuck and Larry that predated their film, thus wow. satisfying that they had not been plagiarized. That was just you parallel said 2008. Thought. Did Chuck and Larry come out in 2009? Uh, 07. 07. Okay, so it's the other way. So yeah, so Chuck. I was two years off. So I mean, Strange Bear Follows was, was 04, Chuck and Larry was 07, the lawsuit was later in 07, and in 08, so the you're telling me, Smoking Gun was released. You're telling me <laughs> that the story that is the literal first thought anybody would have when told, write a comedy about gay marriage, <laughs> was thought of by more than one person. <laughs> like, this is the, it's also, isn't this the same premise as, uh, I mean, more or less as, like, Bosom Buddies to an extent, or even, like, Three's Company, or, you know... Whether it's, I guess, cross-dressing or pretending, pretending you're gay or a woman to get through some loophole. Or, or a soul see, man. Or a soul man. Or, yeah, yeah. I just like the fact that you think somebody was going to write in to correct you on this. In <laughs> <laughs> this particular would've. thing. Yeah. Like, um, I think you'll find. <laughs> yeah. Dear sir. Point of order as a giant Adam Sandler aficionado. <laughs> Oh, he's and he's uh, hated again now with the release of uh, a Ridiculous Six, which yep. is, has all that crazy racist stuff that actually got actors to leave the set. And oh, is that the film? I remember the yeah. Native American actors leaving in disgust. That's the one that yeah, people are saying that what they left in the movie is just as bad as as whatever was. Uh... It wasn't the script. They just saw Grown Ups and they're like, they don't want. <laughs> I mean, how sad. I mean, I loved Adam Sandler. Oh, who I didn't? still who sort didn't? of do, yeah, but yeah. like. It he just looks so tired. Like everything you see him in, like he's just kind of sleepwalking through the movies. Yeah. And like when you see him at these press things on a red carpet, just look at the photos. Like it just looks like he just like leave him alone. Let him just leave Adam Sandler alone. It's... Give him a few years off. Let him kind of refine his creative spark because his dumb comedies were funny. Like yeah, Billy Madison, yeah. Happy Gilmore, hilarious. Two great movies. And then yeah. he got serious for a little while and doing Punch Drunk Love and things like that. Was that was great too. Great yeah. stuff. And then he went back to making silly movies, but they got so bad like the yeah. both of those grown-ups movies are like appalling. some of the worst things ever that i'm just i don't know what happened well, I, I think it's just he he has too many people that rely on him for jobs now yeah like, that's why he just looks like he's going through the motions because this is just obligation he he has friends that he employs and he has to put things out so they can get paid and he doesn't want to let them all down i get that but it's like uh, at a certain point everyone's got to go fend for themselves and like take a take a year off don't make a movie yeah go make a write a comedy record like he used to do those two comedy records three comedy records, yeah they're great like yeah, yeah. Just, i don't do know that. though i reckon if you put one out now it would look it would be so dated probably probably because live comedy moves on you sort of don't you only really notice how much live comedy's moved on when someone who was really good 15 to 20 years earlier and has gone off and made films or whatever decides to come back to the circuit yeah. and then you realize oh your style is weird yeah yeah that's true but you could also do you know associate yourself with some people that are of the now you know and yeah if you had to... if you were willing to put your ego aside for a little yeah. bit and yeah yeah we, we 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 want things good things for you mr sandler so please just do. Uh, take a step back for a minute just take a step back Oh, the line "That's not a knife." Uh, that's a knife. That was from uh, that was from Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> that's not a knife. This is a knife. Which, by the way, that's incorrect because both of them were both knives. Both of them were knives. They're both, they knives. Were both knives. They're both different knives. sizes. Different yeah, sizes. different sizes. They're knives. both knives. But that didn't read as well when he was 
that's a smaller <laughs> knife. This is a bigger knife than your knife that you have. Your knife is smaller. Point, set, match. Yeah. <laughs> like, we really just need to truncate that. Let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one more draft on that screen. Do you have a knife? See. I also have a knife. <laughs> right. let we us both com- have knives. Let us compare these knives. <laughs> no, I well, I everyone. clearly have the superior knife. <laughs> While your knife is intimidating, mine is more intimidating. Um, we have a story sent in by Justin Broad about a satellite from 1967 that just started transmitting 46 years after being abandoned. This is sort of crazy. Um, it was uh, abandoned as a piece of space junk in 1967 and uh, again just started transmitting after 46 years. Lincoln Experimental Satellite refers to a series of satellites designed and built by Lincoln Laboratory at MIT between 65 and 76 for testing devices and techniques for satellite communications. And the series had satellites named LES-1 through LES-9. They suffered a number of launch problems. One and two were supposed to be delivered to the same um, orbit. Uh, wait, what is that? 2,800 by 15,000 kilometer orbit. I'm not sure what those dimensions... Is that the... Alt- whatever. Okay. The same orbit. Though a failure of boost stage left LES-1 in a 2,800 kilometer circular orbit. Uh, three and four were intended to be delivered to geostationary orbit, but a launch problem left them in their transfer orbit. Um, all those satellites returned useful results despite the incorrect orbits. Um, a bunch of them ended up in geostationary. Um, and the project would have been... The project that would have been LES-7 ran out of funding. It was canceled. Um, an amateur radio astronomer North Cornwall accidentally picked up the signal in 2013, and after cross-checking with various lists, identified it as LES-1, built by MIT and launched in 65. Uh, The satellite failed to reach its intended orbit owing to a wiring error and was drifting out of control ever since. Um, But Philip Williams, who then has uh, numbers and letters after his name, is that like a a call letter for a CB guy or something? Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, Philip Williams, G3YPQ, from near Bood? Boudet? Is that... Where is that? Uh... (laughs) This article is all kinds of confusing <laughs> to me. I'm having a very hard time. It's, it's very a very early. strange article. It's yes. from the vintagenews.com, which is a news source I've never encountered before. Is this not a real thing? Is Wait, this isn't uh, one of these fake, not funny <laughs> news sites, is it? <laughs> a very weirdly esoteric parody yeah. site of like news that no one would question. Right, right. We've had a couple of those, including like a couple of got on the air before of our show. Those, you know, those sites that have cropped up in the last three or four years that are like the onion if they didn't bother with jokes and just had lies. Yeah, totally. Just clickbait lies. Yeah, yeah. It's the weirdest trend. Uh, anyway, so this guy noticed a Michael peculiar- Jordan sticks his foot in a man. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Weird. Uh, Could have happened. Could have slipped or something. <laughs> I'll click on the article. Oh, you fucks. Um, Avocados yeah. can fly. Really. <laughs> So Phil Williams noticed this peculiar signal drift caused by its tumbling end over end every four seconds as the solar panels become shadowed by the engine, which gives the signal a particularly ghostly sound as the voltage from the solar panels fluctuates. Um, it's likely that one of the onboard battery, the onboard batteries have now disintegrated and some other component failure has caused the transmitter on 237 megahertz to start up when it's in sunlight. This satellite's about the size of a small car it's not likely to rear into the atmosphere for a long time as the orbit is still relatively high. It poses no threat other than that caused by the thousands of other pieces of space junk in orbit. Um, but yeah, they said it's remarkable to think the electronics were built nearly 50 years ago. 
12 years before Voyager 1, long before microprocessors and integrated circuits, and it's still capable of working in the hostile environs of space. Hey, speaking of hoaxes, this wasn't a story we are going to cover, but I read this. I read an article in the New York Times uh, this week about... Have you heard of Red Mercury? No. Um, I hadn't realized this is a thing. So, Red Mercury is this extremely explosive, extremely dangerous substance that is highly sought after by various terrorist groups around the world, and there's a black market trade, and it's extremely hard to find. Uh, And it's a complete hoax. Oh, really? It doesn't exist. It has never existed. There is no such thing as red mercury the claims that get made for its properties vary wildly but they're all things that go completely against science like this it's at various times something that enables you to build a nuclear bomb for almost nothing with very minimal materials okay. and then at other times it's this highly poisonous substance and then it, hmm. it just has all these different properties it's unobtainium basically it's exactly that yeah. but it's unobtainium if people from actual isis were actually spending real money to try and get hold of it. Oh, so even now, as we're saying this, people don't get that it's a hoax? No, even though if you Google Red Mercury... Yeah, the Wikipedia page says it's a hoax substance. Yeah, the very first thing you get at the top of the page is Red Mercury is a hoax substance of of uncertain composition purportedly used in the creation of nuclear bombs as well as a variety of unrelated weapon systems. Huh. And and there's this great article in the New York Times, and I'll link to it on probablyscience.com, The talks about these various supply chains and the tests that people do you have to test it with gold and garlic <laughs> because it's, it's attracted to one and repelled by the other terrorists are still after this absolutely Maybe they like, just don't know what hoax means right right and they think it's like that thing really? in three amigos are like infamous it's <laughs> like famous like is that what it is <laughs> All it right. says, according to Wikipedia, it was first reported in 1979. That's crazy that you can have a hoax that lasts that long. And it says that prices as high as 18, or, sorry, $1.8 million per kilogram have been reported. Well, yeah, because it's so incredibly powerful. Right, it's very powerful. You pay that much if you're trying to bombs. make a bomb and you know right. that this thing, yeah. <laughs> just a kilogram of red mercury could destroy a city. This is a long-ass Wikipedia article for something that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> very elaborate. Yeah, and that no one probably flagged that. But heaven forbid you try to put something up about yourself on there. <laughs> yeah. yeah <right>. <laughs> <laughs> and you actually do exist. Right. You Clearly you have an interest in this. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> According to this article, in April 2009, it was reported that, from Saudi Arabia that rumors that Singer's sewing machines contained red mercury had caused the prices of such machines to massively increase in the kingdom. Oh, yeah. There's been, there's been spikes in all sorts of things. Television sets as well supposedly hide red mercury, and Americans... Americans use that as a way to get red mercury around the world and placed in different places. Okay. <laughs> certain television sets and certain sewing machines with specific markings were found around the world, and people would buy these up and take them apart. This is amazing. So, like, any show that's not selling great at the festival, I should say, contains red mercury. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll sell it out. <laughs> red mercury is probably a good name for a band as well. Yeah, probably, yeah. It's got to, there's already got, there's got to be a band named that. All right, so, yeah, Christmas is coming up, guys. Stocking stuffers. Red mercury powder. <laughs> Just put it on your list and watch your in-laws go crazy trying to find it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a picture of red... How is there... A, I keep looking at this picture without reading the caption. I'm like, how is there a picture? It's a hoax substance. Uh, but it says that these pictures on Wikipedia, it's like a yellow powder and a red powder. And it says that they're beta and alpha forms of mercury iodide, a real chemical that possesses no explosive capability. 
Oh yeah, people also make red mercury by getting uh, mercury and <laughs> drying up lipstick and crumbling the powder into there and stirring. Oh really? So you can have? Uh, I didn't know that a, a, a liquid that dense could even like dissolve things in it. Yeah, I don't think it necessarily dissolves. It just it just spreads it out. It, the yeah, color. dispersed um, with it. Um, there is a band called Red Mercury, and would you believe it's prog? Of course. But their songs are a hoax, man. <laughs> <laughs> songs don't exist. They're a prog rock band from Reno. Nice. I'm looking up videos of Red Mercury right now. And yeah, let's like just put some kind of coloring in, in Mercury. Excellent. Oh, I thought you meant the band Red Mercury. Oh, no, no. How do they sound? Pretty straightforward. Yeah. That's yeah. Vintage Red Mercury. Pretty much James Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also an explosive substance. Uh, hey, Andy, you got a story for us? Uh, nope. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, we have, we have plenty sent in by our, uh, our very loyal, loyal listeners, including, um, let's see. Oh, first of all, actually, I wanted to get to, uh, I was sort of happy with how much my rant about stupid TV uh, frame rate interpolation struck a chord with listeners. Like people seem to be on board with that, which I thought it was just me. But have you have you seen a new TV recently that makes movies look like shit? Because it'll have like twenty four fr- oh, yeah. frames it, per second, but it does that sixty yeah. hertz smoothing thing. Yeah, so. it makes me crazy. I'll go in and disable that. Like, oh yeah, my parents instantly. had it on their TV when they bought a new one. I was like, nope, this is the worst thing ever. I yeah. don't like things that don't make things look like they're supposed to look. Like that makes me yeah. crazy. And I also don't like the high frame rate in film stuff. Like when they did the Hobbit, the Hobbit. stuff like that. Like it's, it looks like it. Like what did you shoot this on a camcorder? Like what film should look like film? Like it's beautiful. Like let yeah. it look like that. Yeah, yeah, it somehow those TVs somehow make movies look like daytime soaps yeah because daytime soaps are shot on on 60 hertz video and not 24 frames per second film so yeah it's, it makes it look like shitty video porn uh, but yeah justin broad said said that he and i and i i was talking about how i always like have to bite my tongue when i'm at the friend's house because you don't want to like tell someone else to change their shit but he said yeah every time he's seen that on his friend's tv he's totally taken the remote and said let me show you something which looks better with 100 percent strike rate so Maybe I'll just do that. Put it that yeah, way. Yeah, don't don't bite your tongue. Just be like, look, look. You, you don't know moron. that you want to do this, but turn this off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can always change it back. Right. Yeah. 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 My parents probably can't. They they, uh, they want no. those steps. But <laughs> they'll be happy they did it. Exactly. We're also like those TVs that would have like for a while like uh, they had like um, letterbox sensing, and whenever there's like black on the sides or top suddenly it stretches the image automatically oh yeah that's such a weird thing back in the day when i used to work at the video store when things were on vhs some vhs occasionally would come letterbox and we had a letterbox section or whatever but yeah some didn't have that option they were just letterbox when they put like for some reason always the steven spielberg movie yeah. that came out on vhs was letterbox and you would be amazed at how many people would bring it back saying I want to return this. It's cutting off the tops and the bottoms. And I'd be like, no, it's not actually. It's right. preserving the frame rate so you're seeing everything. No, it's not. The tops and the bottoms are cut. There's black bars over the picture. No, it's not. And I would like try <laughs> like to show them. They think there's an image behind there they're not right, seeing. Right, that's being blocked off. Yeah, yeah. And then I'd be like, well, here, here's another film. Like, here's like, and we had like, 
frame comparisons that we had photocopied to be like, see, see what this is. This is the four three cutting off the sides on the left and the right, and having a computer do pan and scan to go back and forth. Like there's a pan and scan version. It's awful. There's a pan and scan version of the professional that Luke Besson movie, and it's like I remember watching on TV is the worst thing ever because there's a shot of like the two of them walking down the street where they're on opposite sides of the frame talking, (laughs) and it's like super wide, and it's just like the pan and scan is going crazy, going back and forth (laughs) between the two of them. And I was like, how can anybody watch this? This is nuts. But yet, they always got mad at us saying that we were cutting off the yeah. bottoms and the bottoms of the Telling photos. me, yeah, I'm sorry. That's how they shipped them uh, because uh, in the real version, the top of the bottom is just boobs. Right. Just loads <laughs> of boobs. Just and missing then, all these great boobs. And then <laughs> basically them showing up going like, the earth is flat. Right. Like, no, it's actually round. No. Like that whole thing. Yeah, I think A Few Good Men had a really bad example of it too. We used to use that as a, as a, as a test when I worked for, I also worked in video sort of for a company that made uh, image processing chips in projectors and TVs and things. And yeah, I think that was like a super wide shot one and they would do the pan and scan. There were courtroom scenes where like someone's talking and it suddenly darts over to the person on the stand. And yeah, it's such a weird trend that that ever was a thing. Does everyone know what that is? Do we have to explain what that is? Pan and scan? Yeah. Do you get uh, the idea? If, like, If you don't know what it is, it's it's a way that... It's a way to convert the wider aspect ratio into a t- into an old TV squarer aspect ratio. Right, you're just zooming by... in on one part of the screen, then moving over to the other part, and never having to lose, never having to have letterboxes, but also not having the whole image. Yeah. Just it having just a weird... picks on the bit where it thinks the action is. Right, right. It was like when we'd have to explain to people, be like, "Well, you know how your TV is a square. You know how you go to a movies and it's a rectangle. This is just making a rectangle inside your square, so you can see everything." And like, yeah. still nothing, yeah, nothing, no, no idea. <laughs> Or the alternative should... is that weird, like, just stretched out, tall head thing. <laughs> okay, now it's all in there and it looks like garbage, but, yeah. I care uh, too much about this stuff. So that was kind of a story, Matt, but not really. That was kind of a story. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't want to do the one about text messages with a full stop or a period at the end. I think But it, was... it backed up what we all know about that, which is if you end a text with a period, for the most part, you're a dick. And you're sending a clear message that you're a dick. I, I, I always punctuate my text messages properly. If it's multiple sentences within a thing, then I can see it to divide them up. But if it's just a one-line thing, if nope. you end it with a period, you're saying, also, fuck you, buddy. I just write Double the fingers. word period. Yeah. <laughs> so that confuses people. Um, my, phone, my phone is set to the UK Siri. Because American Siri can't understand me, but when I dictate, if I if I'm just for some reason if I'm in a no, the normal text messaging bit, and press the dictate button, if I'm saying something and I say period, it does a full stop, and then it goes on to the next sentence. But if I just do the sending a text from the home screen where I just go, hey Siri, send a text message to Andy Wood that says what do you want to say, and I just dictate it like that. Mm-hmm. For some reason in that program. If I say period, it just types the word period, which uh-huh. then makes me look like a, either right, right. a dick or like I'm sending a telegram. Right. Like, nearly there, period. Full stop. <clears throat> what do you want to talk about? Period. period. <laughs> oh, by the way, I do have one more. I have a story that uh, Justin Broadson and it's kind of interesting. Uh, did you know that girls born in the summer are healthy? Because science says so, according to complex.com uh, if you're looking for a way to increase the chances of having a healthy baby girl you might want to consider a summer delivery according to a study published in the journal helion a woman's overall healthy 
A woman's overall healthy might be somewhat influenced by her month of birth. Excellent. Copy editing. Uh, Newsweek reports that researchers <laughs> collected data from 450,000 men and women as part of the continuing United Kingdom Biobank project, which tracks health and disease trends in the country. The study determined that expectant mothers exposed to sunlight during their second trimester might be critical to fetal de- development. Um, if we go back to elementary science, exposure to the sun helps produce vitamin D, a key component to great health. As a result, girls born in the summer weighed more than winter babies. They were also more likely to achieve a higher level of education, but science scientists found no differences in regard to body mass index. When you were conceived and born occurs largely at random. It's not affected by social class, your parents' ages, or their health. So looking for patterns with birth month is a powerful study designed to identify influences in the environment before birth, said study leader John R.B. Perry in a statement to the press. He added, we think uh, vitamin D exposure is important and our findings will hopefully encourage other research and long-term effects of early life vitamin D on puberty timing and health. However, if you're having a baby boy, it will burst into flame if it hits sun. (laughs) So be careful. Why is it dependent on the gender? That's an interesting... so bizarre to me. It should it seems like it should be well, both. I think, I think girls are the are the more summery sex. Right. Yeah. Well, I think this also. I wonder if this also influences what your tone is. You know, if you're an autumn, if you're a winter. Oh yeah, of as course. Far as skin color and yeah, um, this is sort of interesting because I've I've tried to find ways to justify astrology scientifically. Not that I believe it at all, but like as a thought experiment. Like, well, how could birth possibly affect? And I've thought it through, but but like as soon as you remember, like oh no, wait, hemispheres, like whatever theory you'd have, the, the opposite hemisphere would have the opposite effect. So um, it, like it doesn't make any sense. Here is one thing though that month of birth can influence behavior, and that is it affects how old you are compared to your school oh, year. Right, Malcolm Gladwell shit. Right, outliers. Yeah. Was that in outliers? Because I- yeah, about how hockey kids are always born are I have like November birthdays because they got to be the oldest on their hockey teams, you know, or they were right before yeah. cut out. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because I remember I was a May birth, so I was always one of the last people to have my birthday in my class. Yeah, yeah, me too. Or at least in the last three quarters. So then we would be at a disadvantage, right, from that? Apparently so. Yeah. And look at us now. Right? In Hollywood, next to movie stars. (laughs) Yes, next to quote big movie stars. (laughs) Shetland ponies in our vicinity. Yeah, what's what's your birth month? September. September. So were you... Did you catch the cutoff? Were you at the beginning or the end of your school year? uh, Yeah, and I was was like, yeah. I was... When I went to college, like, just turned 18. Like, so I didn't have the whole, like... um, Like, you know, like, your high school seniors, some people, like, then are 18 and they can write themselves, like... Get out of get out of school. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have any of those advantages. Well, you didn't that? get your license then until your senior. No, your yeah. When you're if you turned eighteen, that theoretically made it so you could excuse yourself, emancipate yourself. Yeah. from school. right. So you could be like, I don't want to go today. Cole will not go to class today or whatever. I never had that advantage because I, oh, you had to wait for a parent to do that because you couldn't be a legal guardian. And then right. also, you wouldn't have been legal to drink until your senior year in college. Right. Wait. Wait, when did, or your fourth year of college, whatever? That right. Was. Yeah, yeah. So, so for me, like my sophomore. <laughs> yeah. So you, you still made up for it. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. If you can plan when your babies are going to be born, shoot for. I guess start banging in late winter. That's start the thing is, like, I'm a September baby, and there's so many of us, and then you wonder why, and you go like, well, yeah, nine months. So everybody, your parents just hooked up at the holidays. 
They hooked oh, up at okay. New Year's or Christmas. Oh. Thus, all the September births. So you know you were conceived in front of an open fire. I guess, yeah. On a rug with... I don't know how much you want to picture this right now, your parents, but... Probably not at all. Guessing sweaters, knitted sweaters. <laughs> so the best time to, to bone would be, like, right before Thanksgiving? Is that when you... Because then you'd have, like, a midsummer birth? If you get pregnant immediately, which most people don't. Right, right. So, like, they start trying, and then months later, if they're lucky... Yeah. That's why it's almost impossible to time out. But you can try. But I would think if I, if I was going to plan it, You'd want to just be pregnant in the worst months just because you're stuck at home anyway. So you just go for, like, as soon as weather starts to turn, try to get pregnant right then in the hopes that you're unpregnant by the summer. That's the word, right? Unpregnant? Unpregnant, yeah. yeah. You un- yeah. <laughs> Did you hear uh, uh, John and Carol? Sean and Carol were unpregnanted? <laughs> Congratulations on your unpregnancy. <laughs> Cigars all around for your unpregnancy. Um... We should probably wrap this up, but uh, where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? Uh, golly, they could go to colstratton.com, which I update sometimes. Nice. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook and stuff. And then uh, the podcast, Pop My Culture, lives at popmyculturepodcast.com, and it's also on Nerdist and iTunes. And then SF Sketchfest is at sfsketchfest.com. And that pretty much uh, encapsulates everything I do. And I do a lot at the Westside Comedy Theater in Santa Monica, which is this great comedy space. I do a bunch of shows there every month. So They do. Nice. What I like about the Westside Comedy Theater is it's half, it's a lot of improv, but also a lot of stand-up. Yeah. And the green room is covered in graffiti, and you can very clearly see which tribe wrote <laughs> on the wall. Because the yeah. improv people are all... The improv people, it's all sort of affirmations and... You know, don't don't think, be... Yeah, everything you hear about improv is on that wall. <laughs> and then um, all the standards are like, you, you fucking dick! Yeah, there are pictures of dicks on that wall. <laughs> it's that just... Are drawn. Yeah, it's like, I've been doing improv my entire life, like 25 years or whatever. Like, that's not my entire life. <laughs> I think I started when I was 12, so like 27 years or something like uh-huh. that. And like, I love improv and I hate improv. Like, I love it to death. Like, it's my favorite thing in the world. But like... You know, if I if I was walking down an alley and I walked by an improv group warming up, and sometimes this happens, people walk yeah. by and they'll be like, "Hey, show at eight o'clock, come to the show." I was like, "Guys, that's not going to work. I wouldn't want to watch this." <laughs> so these idiots walking around in a circle, going like, "Ooga!" <laughs> or whatever. Like, no, there's nothing. Like, I know why we do it to connect and get on the same right. page and get our brains going or whatever. But like, that's not for public consumption because it's annoying. Yeah. And like, when people hold up the improv as like this art form thing, that whole thing is like, "Yeah, it is," but come on, don't do it. Like, <laughs> drink your wine don't tell me about the tannins right, like right. it's it's sort of like that and it's best it's amazing i i guess my, my thing is i think at its worst it's worse than stand-up at its worst but those are both bad at their worst so you know they are but i think i'm going to agree with you on that like i think it's just <laughs> i think bad improv is interminable whereas bad stand-up it, it affects me in, in a way that bad stand-up doesn't like it, emotionally that i can't I think, handle i, think I can't maybe handle it's just watching because more than one person is complicit in the awfulness <laughs> I think that might be what it is. Yeah, and most likely, too, an improv group is doing at minimum a 10-minute set, mostly a 20-minute set or whatever, right? So you can suffer through these bad improv groups doing 30 minutes or whatever. A bad stand-up most likely is Mm -hmm. doing five, seven, maybe. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. If they're beyond that, uh, they've established themselves. So the pain threshold is much shorter. (laughs) That's true. So you can look at it that way. That's probably... It's a good breakdown of why it is. (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah, go check out. Um, and by the way, do you perform uh, as theme park in town much? You've done that at, at you know it's weird. We tour around with it. We've done like one show in L.A., which is hilarious because we all live here except for Rachel Dretch, who lives in New York. Yeah. But like, yeah, like it's so weird. Like it's uh, we can get the band together to go to like you know Portland or go to San Francisco yeah. or Austin or whatever. But in L.A., it's just like. Should we do a show? I don't know. I and guess. then also uh, Pretty Pretty Pony is the other. Yeah, that's a show I do monthly at Westside where we have guest monologists come in and uh, we just improvise off of that. Which we is... did a show together that they did was sort of half improv and then half set list, which... A wormhole show. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't... Yeah, it was a good idea. It, I don't know. It, I think it can work. It wasn't... That night wasn't the perfect marriage of those two formats, <laughs> but you yeah. guys were amazing. Like, I'm oh, really you. impressed. Thanks. It yeah, it's great. fun. It's a good group of people. Yeah, Theme Park's great, too. We're doing it at SF Sketch Fest nice. this year. And it's like it's me, Janet Varney, Jessica Makinson, uh, John Michael Higgins, Michael Hitchcock, Ian Brennan. Uh, am I forgetting anybody? James Roday from Psych is our monologist for the show, which is great. Nice. Um, and then sometimes we have people like Rachel Drouch, Danny Pudi, Simon Helberg. Um, Oscar Nunez one year you had? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oscar's doing it this year, too. That's what oh, I was cool. forgetting. Yeah, Oscar does it. Awesome. It's fun. Check that out. Yeah, go to sfsketchfest.com. There's too many acts to even list. It's it's amazing. But um, so come check out a bunch of Why not of go to the event that we're part of? And go to the, go to ours as well. We already mentioned that, but I was saying, while you're there, check out the fact that they have, you know, uh, Waiting for Guffman, Tribute to Sally Field, Jeff Goldblum, Patton Oswald. Uh, okay. and, and you're on other stuff, too. You're doing, like, set list. I'm doing set list and prompter prompt. and a few other things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had a great time last year. I'm very much looking forward to coming back. It's a good old time. We get so many people there all at once, and then we have these parties at the end of the night where all of a sudden it's like 200 amazing comics walking around. And, like, up-and-coming people, too. Like, we don't separate. It's, like, it's a big thing. Yeah. So, like, these groups, there's, like, three dudes from Michigan who do sketch who've only done a handful of shows but are funny yeah. are in the same room with, you know, Pat and Oswald and, That's awesome. and losing their minds. It's, it's fun. It's really cool. Nice. Um, Hopefully we'll see a bunch of you there. Again, ours is January 14th. We will put links at probablyscience.com. Uh, that's also where the PayPal donate button is. If you oh, want to yeah. donate, give us a little bit of holiday spending money. Uh, and we've got uh, some donors to thank. Yeah, Kate Lubiak set up a very generous monthly donation. Yeah, very um, kind of you, Kate. David Moss actually uh, wrote in uh, with a puzzle um, asking what's the molecular weight of a clown. But I Googled it, and so then... I, I I mean, the joke was already, it's uh, it's like, if those were all elements, it's chlorine, oxygen, uh, what, tungsten, nitrogen. So it's 24.93 uh, units. What is the molecular weight measured at? I get the joke. Would you uh, want to measure it in moles? No, it, no, it was like, uh, I, I should have just put the link up here. But yes, David, thank you for the donation. And yeah. We, we get it. It sounds so patronizing when I say it. Yes, we get to, I see your joke. James uh, Elliott also donated. Thank you very much, James. And then Paul Clayton both donated and asked about my new album. Uh, the job, it's being edited, but that the job on the Science Channel show that we were doing got in the way of me really finishing up the editing thing, so I, I didn't get it out of time every, for Christmas. Yeah, I got in the way of all of our lives. It was meant to be out for Christmas, and it's not now, but it'll be out early in the new year, and I will let all of you know about that. And it doesn't have a name yet, but it's an hour of new stand-up that is different to the hour of my previous album, and I'm call it that yeah <laughs> that's a great that's name it's a, a good name do it that's actually yeah uh i'm quite happy with it so uh i hope you like it when it comes out in the new year please buy it uh you can shop through amazon using our amazon link if you're shopping for the holidays and you are using amazon in either the uk america or canada click on our link first we get a kickback it costs you nothing mm -hmm. extra and we'll post up the holiday guide as well the shopping guide on our website if you want some ideas for presents to give to people yep. 
Uh, and the other way you can really help us out is to spread the word. Just tell people, let people know you're going to be killing time. You're going to be filling awkward silences at Christmas dinners. Why not fill it with facts you learned on this show? Yeah. And you should listen to this. Po- Why not just play the podcast and huddle around the wireless like the olden days? Don't That's do that. Suggest. We don't want to ruin your Christmas. But do listen to us and do tell other people and write and review us uh, and write nice things about us on iTunes and subscribe. And turn off that stupid frame rate thing when you're watching Miracle on 34th oh, yes, Street. Please like, do. You'll, your family will thank you. Cole, thank you so much for joining yes. us. Yeah, thanks Pleasure. for having me, guys. And we'll see you next year. Bye. Bye.